Hello, and welcome to Breakout, the podcast from The Great Escape. In this episode, we chat about the genre of science fantasy. I'm Rich. Joining me, as always, is Philip, Ben, Chrissy, and Mark. Hello. Hello. So I guess let's start with what everyone's been up to. Uh, Mark, what have you been doing? Well, um, I have been once again producing comics and a, a horror comic called The Disease by award-winning author Paul Kane, and it's epic. So I've been really doing that the last few days. What about you, Chrissy? Uh, well, in amongst uh, prepping stuff for the uh, for, for Carnival Sorrows, for you know updating the websites and uh, and things like that, I have been. Uh, playing around with my new sewing machine, which I got for Christmas. And um, I recently made our, our special guest star today, which is Squishy the Squid. And uh, if you scroll down, you can see a picture of Squishy. He is an eight-foot plushy squid. And he's cute. He's got a little smiley face in between his tentacles. Um, so, yeah, I made a squid. Well, this week I've mostly been shut away in a darkened room, marrying together video clips and audio clips for our upcoming film Carnival of Sorrows. Um, so yeah, just some uh, some tedious work going through uh, all of that, really. And Felix, what have you been up to? Uh, mostly just having a bit of a changeover in the camera department, um, moving over to a slightly smaller uh, red camera, um, hopefully trying to get rid of the rather large and heavy red one. So if anyone fancies buying one, it's on Red User now. Yeah, so camera for sale, anybody who's any takers? Simply Google large heavy red one. I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> oh, I was just thinking about what Ben said about I was in a darkened room marrying together and I'm like, you could put in any two things in there. <laughs> it would be funny. <laughs> marrying together cats and dogs. Though strangely, video clips and audio clips are probably the, the most unfunny things. Yeah. could be married together. Yes. Ironically. Yeah. And as to myself, as you can probably tell, uh, I've been spending time recovering from illness. I'm still actually unwell at the moment, but such is life, the podcast must go on. He's all full of snot. I'm full of, full of and, snot and coughs. And, and he's so, actually in a booth in the corner, so away from us all. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm actually a quarantine bubble, which is why there's a slight funny reflection of audio. Yeah, yeah, It's the walls of your quarantine bubble. You should be a Foley artist. <laughs> yeah, we need one of them. I'd like to point out, I just did that with a packet of donuts. <laughs> so, as I mentioned earlier, our chosen topic is science fancy. So I think the first question is, what exactly is science fancy and how would you define it? And what is it not? <laughs> what is it not, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose the thing is, is that it, it's, a, it's a melding of two other genres, I suppose is the easiest way to define it. it it's the crossover point between science fiction and fantasy. See, because I'm more of the opinion, uh, for a long time, that science fantasy was clearly fantasy with a science subtext. So something like Krull would be... Yeah. Yeah, so obviously um, Krull is a um, 70s... You probably would call Krull more specifically fantasy. You could probably group it in with fantasy yeah. quite easily. Or but it contains aliens and spaceship castles and lasers and it's stuff. almost i almost think that's almost a nod to star wars in a sense like so i don't know i think it came out after star wars didn't it um I'll have to check that now Hang on. but 
I think it's almost Carl like was they, 1981, 1982. Yeah. So they'd made us, they were making this is, us a, a fantasy. This is where I've got to be entirely wrong. It's been like 1983. No, no, when I say it's a 70s film, it's really not. Yeah, yeah but same year as uh, Return of the Jedi. So I think really with Crow, it's a sense of they're making a fantasy film, but they're giving it a science fiction coating because that's what's popular, you know, in the time perhaps. But it's an interesting one because I do think. It, it's tropes array fantasy and having mentioned Star Wars, I say Star Wars is the most obvious science fantasy piece. Yeah, well, I mean, we actually came up with this idea for this topic actually around about the time that Star Wars came out. Um, it's just taken us a while to get to recording it. I mean, Star Wars is essentially about space wizards. Mm. So I would say almost the one of the defining features of, of a certain type of science fantasy is the fact that whereas normally within the genre of fantasy, like you have magic and dragons and other other worlds. It sort of becomes other planets and, and magic is explained through science and technology. But of course, in the Star Wars universe, you have like the, the force and that mm. is, for all intents and purposes, magic. Yeah, you know, it, It's, you know, telekinesis and, and, and mind powers and, and so on. And that is, you know, obviously, you know, it's, it, it's not... At any point in that universe, try, do they try and explain it with science? Well... Episode one, midichlorians. We're yeah. never mentioning that again. Yeah. And, and actually, that's why the midichlorians line in particular is hated so much by, by fandom, because it feels like an attempt to... Shoehorn it back into pure, pure science, 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 science fiction. fiction. To give it an explanation for something. So if the Force wasn't in Star Wars, then it would be purely science fiction. Is that what you're saying? I disagree because even then, when you look at the the battles, you've got a lot of archetypes. It's using planets as land. It's a rescue the princess scenario. The lightsabers aren't inherently part of the force as such, and they're swords, you know. But that's so. coming down to, in a certain, to a certain extent into um, you know the idea of the, you know your, your seven classic stories, in that yeah. you, you can take any of those sort of classic story structures and put it into a science fiction setting. That doesn't stop it from being science fiction. That's true. Yeah. So I, I do think that there aren't necessarily there are certain story um, types that that sort of perhaps are classically fantasy but that doesn't mean that taking the bones of that and making it a science fiction film stops that from being science fiction also star wars is a bit of an odd exception to the rule in terms of actually what star wars is made up of because its structure is built around a lot of pre-existing tv and cinema tropes the whole fact that's based across the idea of the serial from the 1930s combined with um uh, Japanese hero films and westerns and all sorts of things to sort of marriage it into something that's an everyman film. Well, I'd say a lot of those things are, are much closer to the, the stuff what Chrissy was talking to in sort of general story traits. But interesting, the 30s series you mentioned, actually, I would say a lot of them are science fantasy. And I think one of the elements what make it science fantasy is that, or rather what doesn't make it hard science fiction, it's about science and the idea of how this technology evolves. Whereas in Star Wars, I think even if you remove the Force, the technology isn't... It's not about the technology and the science fiction and the ideas. It's about... We're just using these as 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 an excuse to do these fantastical things. Yeah, it's the difference between science fiction as the driving narrative force and it as a setting. You know, because mm. I think that's one of the things we were saying when, when we watched 2001 the other day. 
is actually that that film is very much about the science, about showcasing the ideas of the science and so on. You've got that whole sequence about him moving on, the, on, the, on, on, you know, from the Earth to the Moon, on all the space station to the Moon, on the on the spaceship, and and it's sort of showcasing all these features of this thing, and it's the, about the ideas. Seeing then um, two thousand one as an example of what you might call it's going to be classic sci-fi. You know, and you're talking about your sort of your Jules Verne's Earth to the Moons, you know, the sort of the kind of thing there, which is very much the, it's about the science and it's about the, the science mm. fiction. Um, whereas Star Wars, I think actually was kind of quite groundbreaking in the fact that it didn't actually focus on that. It told a story in that setting, but it mm. didn't, the story was not about the science. It was about what happened in that world but i would say that world is mm. is very fancy it, it's yes. the structure of things yeah. like crow like clash of the Titans. i know they're archetypal but it's a yeah. particular kind oh, yeah, of archetypal, no, yeah. heavily associated with fancy with the group of heroes coming together that yeah. journey and as i said but you still got the sword fights and the... yeah but perhaps that's part of the way in which you'd sort of can differentiate between because it's almost like a spectrum really isn't it but how you can differentiate something between something that's purely science fiction is that it needs to have some element of the science being relevant to the story. Whereas yeah. on, a, on a sort of graded scale of science fantasy right down to your sort of fantasy, pure fantasy, you've, you've got, you know, science fiction settings, but they don't necessarily impact per se on the... They don't drive the story. So yeah. would you say that the core demographic for a science fantasy film is actually bent more towards the fantasy viewer rather than the sci-fi viewer? I think actually it's more gen- aimed at the general viewer and I think actually it's kind of, it's, it's a more, it's a softer version of either, mm. I think in a lot of cases. It's not, it, it doesn't ask you to go to the extreme ends of the genre spectrum, mm. it doesn't ask you to go to Middle Earth and see goblins and so on and so forth if you're not into that and it doesn't make you go into space and go on a spaceship and so on if you're not into that it's kind yeah. of it's a much more softly defined genre in the middle which tends to be more about characters I also think more escapist you know things like Crow uh, the Chronicles of Riddick actually wherever you may think of it I think is a perfect example it's so very fancy they're talking about the underverse is the mm. concept within this film and that's, it could be the underworld. Um, so easy, and you, you have know. your characters in it that have these superpowers, these, there's this kind of mythology of the, the life and death forces and so on, which are, you know, outside the realm of science and, you know, science fiction. No, so. exactly. Yeah. I do question to myself whether Riddick is actually Vin Diesel's D&D character. Quite I possibly. like to think of that. Yeah, I like no, to think that is a thing. Yeah. I like to think so. I mean, aesthetically, I think that they're an interesting film because it draws more strongly on darker fantasy tropes, I think, yeah. in it. So it's not just doing the sword and sorcery fantasy, it's doing more of the, so the dark hero's journey into the underworld fantasy. Mm. Um, so it's drawing on that. I think there is also something to be said that um, both sort of, you know, the extreme ends of the science fiction fantasy spectrum uh, tend to be quite omniscient kind of um, storylines. They tend to be quite plot-driven storylines. Um, whereas I think where you get into more in the, the middle where you've got more sort of science fantasy, you've either got sort of science fiction with a fantasy story kind of to it, or you've got, um, you know, that with a, a sort of a more personalised element of, of sort of magic and, and interpersonal stuff. Mm. I think it tends to be a little bit more character-driven. So I think that, that to, I would say that's probably a more sort of defining point of it. So. I would almost say, actually, a part of that comes out of the fact that I think the narratives tend to be so sort of broad and archetypal, you know, where it's rescue the princess or 
or go here or go there is that journey aspect. Hero's journey, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of, they aren't very plot heavy because of that, I think, in in many ways. Today is really the first time um, myself or Felic have been introduced to uh, science Mm. fantasy as a genre because up until kind of now, really, um, I've kind of had like five genres in my head for films and that's been about it. And and now I'm kind of realising there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and... Mm. yeah. <laughs> oh, for God's sake, don't go on TV tropes. Your mind will just explode. I went on the, uh, yeah, by the way, go to the um, TV trope page for Punk Punk because it lists all the different punk genres and there are loads. <laughs> what this gets into is this concept of genre hybridity. Now, genre hybridity is, is the concept that genres aren't inherently one thing. You might have one specific idea, but other elements come into them. And a lot of this actually comes from... The history of cinema, and obviously, it's about developing film. And early on, you might have had very specific genres, but it's about making individual films stand out. So we go, oh, we've seen hundreds of science fiction films. You go, ah, but this one's a science fiction war movie, or this one's you know a science fiction horror movie. I would say it's not even just to do with film. It's also to do with fiction, um, because actually, uh, sub categorizing things you know into more and more specific niches as has been a feature of, of books and and, and fic, written fiction mm. as much as it has been a, a factor oh yeah film. yeah um i think my classic go-to example of this is the idea of new adult so first of all you had um you know fiction and then you had young adult fiction and then you ended up they came up with this new classification for fiction which dealt with the sort of period between sort of becoming an adult, but sort of growing up, almost as if, you know, in a sort of like a response to sort of societal changes. We now have dark romance in a Waterstones near you. Well, yes. Which is basically Twilight <laughs> yeah. and various but, Twilight-esque uh, books. Yes, yeah, so a new adult became was spawned as a, a, as a genre to fit between adult books and young adult books, something that, that, that sort of dealt specifically with, well, protagonists in their early 20s, usually, um, who were dealing with those early adult issues. So it's different from the idea of young adult, where you'd be dealing with things like, you know, your first kiss and your first romance, and and moving on to sort of like dealing with, you know, your first serious relationships and, and interpersonal things, new first jobs, career starting and things like that. And that those sort of pressures of life on your own. And it's First rent. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, first rent. So, but it, it, I think uh, the very fact that, that that's been sort of spawned as a new, to, to fit in mm. between two things is a, a perfect example of how, you know, genres get spawned mm. to fill in niches between things. Every time something doesn't quite fit into one category or other, somebody spawns a niche just well, for that one thing. We don't and then other things get crammed <laughs> into it as well. We don't want to get too cultural in society, mm. but the genres are constantly evolving. And again, it sort of comes to that, in terms of film... Um, it's mu- it's sort of developed, I think, um, again, because of the Hollywood pitch system. So if you watch the opening of The Player, which is a brilliant film about Hollywood and the pitching, you saw the guy's pitching a film, he says, you know, it's Little Women Meets Out of Africa. <laughs> <laughs> it's just absurd, but that's exactly how it goes. It's this meets this. It's, yeah. That's how the... And it's about meshing those ideas yes, together to create, so. create something new. Um, so that's how the sort of genre thing plays into it. And I think yeah. science fantasy is actually kind of one of the oldest ones because I think what we're looking at here is the fact that it was easy to go, fantasy might not be so popular anymore, but space is, let's just make that sort of leap. 
Yeah. I think, uh, and you can also say that, you know, you, you bring in things like steampunk, which is, you know, sort of fantasy with technology and you bring in spark punk, which is, you know, uh, uh, you know, Renaissance electricity technology and you, magitech, which is sort of magic technology and stuff like that. You know, you can subcategorize all of these different things mm. and they all kind of, in a way, effectively what we're saying is we're running a genre specific podcast here and we're slowly but surely coming to the conclusion that genres are irrelevant, uh, <laughs> that actually you can't categorize everything because mm. it's all you know all takes elements from other things everything has influences from different genres well i think in a peculiar way mark you, you caught something slightly there the idea that actually people were saying i'm not we are interested in fancy anymore oh but space that's very popular in a way though there's a lot of people there who would not watch a science fiction film but they'll happily watch a science fantasy film yeah yeah that's the basically saying you know fantasy is going a bit out of fashion but space is popular oh but people are put off by sci-fi yeah. or what can we call it something well, in and, the middle and, and, <laughs> and the equivalent being young young adult fiction may well be for that but previously that was called teen fiction <laughs> but that would cut out certain demographics of people who want to be reading young adult fiction yeah. actually what we come to now is a, um, an interesting take which I think ties into this uh, two points firstly um, looking at you know sort of uh, what is science fantasy from what you were saying just then is absolutely some people might not be interested in that sort of hard when I mean, you look at the western the western was the biggest Hollywood genre and that bombed and died eventually people just weren't interested and it's had small resurgences it's had a renaissance obviously recently but, but even recently it's not been that big it's oh, just no, been a few yeah. big films it's not been like but the other thing, because it's based on what you were saying, which is um, Moonraker, okay? If you watch James Bond at the end of a certain Bond film, um, it's You Only Live Twice, James Bond will return in For Your Eyes Only, but he doesn't, because Star Wars hits and is massive. For once, they actually shoehorn in Moonraker, which has space laser battles. It's a science fantasy film. It's taking that era of James Bond films, which are the kind of spy fantasy thrillers mm. and throwing space and killer viruses and absurd stuff like this, you know. And they actually put that in to appeal to that science fiction, science fantasy market that was already Star there, Wars. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not having terrible, horrible flashbacks of the ending of Moonraker and the... the awful ending line which is okay. I believe he's trying to achieve re-entry but you, you see what I mean it, it's the genre genre is both about finding an audience but also yeah. appealing to certain trends at a time so. I would also say it's about um, it, it's about making sure that you don't alienate an audience because um, th there's a lot of um, discussion in the fiction world about um, female writers of science fiction, of, of hard sci-fi mostly, um, and how, well, for, for, if you ever look at sort of shelves of sci-fi books, you will rarely see a female name. You'll either see a male name or you'll see initial surname. Mm. And that's because most female writers in the genre are advised not to advertise that they are female. Because the, the industry thinks that the majority of readers are male and that they won't want to read a book if it's written by a female. It's an archaic kind of... I don't even really think how it's very relevant, but it's a, it's a, it's a ingrained within the industry. J.K. Yeah. Rowling is a yeah. perfect example. It's, it's a weird thing where basically a female name on the front cover of a book implies that it talks about women's issues. <laughs> yes. It's bizarre. But actually, that's quite interesting because for people... Because even though I, I don't want to... You know, that's a, that's almost a, a podcast uh, yeah, in itself. Yeah. But interesting, the same sort of logic, science fiction, for some people, says, oh, that's for nerds. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's but also, for more importantly, for 
male nerds and for male yeah. geeks as but well. I'm thinking so, in terms yeah. of science fantasy, though. Is it opens it to a wider demographic? Yeah, and I think yeah. it's quite interesting that Star Wars is such a mainstream thing, and I think part of that success is because it's got that fantasy and that character yeah. aspect. And I think almost that's what the, the prequels, while they're still quite fantasy-esque, they're not really about the characters. They're much more trying to tell these sort of bizarre science fiction stories mm. at the same time. They don't quite work as in the mainstream yeah. way quite as much. However, I think um, episode seven gets back to its roots much more, I think. It gets back to that those archetypes, those kind of things. It'd be, I mean, spoilers? Mm. You know, that the whole searching for Luke Skywalker. That's not really spoilers. That's in the open For text. anybody who is listening to this that hasn't, watched Star Wars yet it's already out of the cinemas but that is an archetypal fantasy it's the search for the more powerful wizard for the the wizard who can train you who can bring things you know hero's journey mentor yeah. figure exactly you know it, again <laughs> but, well, um, to get us back on topic to um, science fantasy um, has anybody else got any examples they want to sort of raise of, of works in the, the, the genre really I think that any science fiction film that's come out in the last 20, 25 years um, that is basically a science fantasy film. I actually can't think of an example of a pure science fiction film. Slowers. Okay, good one. (laughs) (laughs) Technically a remake, but still. Uh, I was going to say Sunshine, but actually that's probably not a good example of a pure science fantasy No, because that's a sci-fi horror. It's, yeah, it it's also got a certain element of science fantasy. Well, actually, what's interesting yeah. about Sunshine is that it presents as a more typical science fiction and it uses its descent into science fantasy slash horror as mm. almost twist yeah. in the development of the plot line. I mean, even films like Moon, I go, well, actually, that's not pure science fiction. I would say Gravity as well, probably. I haven't even seen it, that's, but from what yeah, I know... Yeah, that's gra- classic. I, yeah. yeah, but however... Um, Interstellar? Yes, um, is is probably more of an example of, of science fantasy because you've got those elements of him sort of the time travel and um, sort of sending messages through gravity waves and so on and so forth, which is much more that idea of sort of almost like magic. I would say an interesting one, and actually I think iRobot, even though it, it's based on Asimov, it's nowhere near the hard science that... Mm. It doesn't, it still tends to keep towards that idea of robotics and the idea of robotic logic. So it's an action film, it's the, but it's got enough of those ideas and not enough out there kind of stuff. I think it kind of stays towards being more of a pure science but fiction film. But I would say film, that even in, but a very even, light one. even in his original works, I would say Asimov was still playing with the idea of the ghost in the machine, the idea mm. of, um, you know, where does consciousness come from? Exactly. And that is kind of like a philosophical idea that breaches the idea of hard science well, I don't know because it, it, it no I think that's part of hard science mm. I think that's something it's easy to forget is that actually part of hard science is can this technology go to that point he's, he's extrapolating can we make technology so advanced that this happens but it's still keeping it within the realms mm. of that yeah. technology it's, it's the science fiction extrapolation of the technology and I think almost the iRobot film doesn't you know it's an action film at the end mm. of the day but I don't think it's science fantasy. It's, it's still very science fiction mm. as its concept. It's what you'd say is more... It's almost a, a weird... I actually think that's what it is. It's a weird marrying of action philosophies with hard science fiction ideas. Mm. I am going to raise two other examples. There are James Cameron films as a an option on that, and specifically The Abyss mm. and Avatar. 
Yeah. Avatar, I would say, I would agree, is outright science fantasy. I think Avatar is almost archetypal of science fantasy, isn't it? Yeah. It's that science fiction setting, but with the fantasy storyline and the fantasy elements in terms of the Fern sort of Gully, magic as everyone and... says. But yeah, <laughs> but basically it's Fern Gully in space. But that is, you, yeah. Mm. I would disagree on the abyss, though. I think, again, they actually go to quite a few lengths to have a lot of real science in there. But interesting with but the abyss. tentacle. No, with the abyss, I would say that also that has relations to uh, the idea of the life force, and because a lot of Japanese fantasy talks about life force and about Gaia and all of those elements, and the abyss kind of relates to that element as well as obviously the concept of aliens. It's squarely in that mid eighties bracket where everyone was, uh, you know, talking. But you know, that was think, very much a buzz sort of. But I don't think it ever um, actually makes it like that's some sort of thing that exists as such. Oh, it, it makes it more about aliens. It's more about aliens coming and showing us where we're going wrong. Because yeah. the director's cut does cover that, doesn't it? The, the director's cut covers it in more detail. I would yeah. actually point out, if you've not watched the director's cut of The Abyss, watch it. It's a different film. It's a good film. <laughs> <laughs> it completely changes the ending and the meaning of the film. But yeah. that's exactly the thing. It, it's, again, it, it's using aliens, but it's not using... It's using them as so advanced that we don't really understand them or their way, mm. but they are one thing that's that, and yeah. they are that one alien. It's not sort of yeah. across and the range. Does, and it does specifically, you know, sort of bring you back to the idea of the science and the technology being the driving force almost for the, mm. for the film. So, yeah, it's probably more straight sci-fi. I would say, but The question yeah. is, are all James Cameron films sci-fi fantasy? Could you theoretically put Terminator 2 into the bracket of science fantasy? Because okay, it's it's science, mm. it's sci-fi in its concepts. What with you know, robots and you know. Weirdly enough, I would say that um, Terminator Two is more hard sci-fi than Terminator. I would argue actually almost like the Terminator Two is a weird one because of where it's coming from. Mm. But it's I would say it's much more an action film first, mm. an action film. Primarily using science fiction trampings. More specifically, an action story. hero film as well. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas the first one is a science fiction horror film. And it, it's, you actually watch a lot of these kind of indestructible monster horror films mm. from that era. Not the big ones, not the sort of obvious slashers. Yeah. There's a lot of other ones. I'm actually thinking something like Maniac Cop, which yeah. is sort of. Which I would say it's, They have that feel. Yeah. So I would say that, that Terminator, the first one, is, is closer to science fantasy than Terminator 2. Um, but partially because there's so much muddy ground between mm. fantasy and horror in general that a science fiction horror is kind of like a science fiction fantasy but that's getting to that like fantasy default. horror yeah, thing yeah. which I think yeah. it, it's muddling to the extent that I would say if we're talking science fantasy personally I would leave things like Alien and the Terminator mm. outside as something that's connected but not really because Alien and the Terminator they have their clear science fiction aspects mm. and their clear horror aspects yeah. and their intent both yeah. of them is to scare yeah. and to frighten yeah. and to have this gore and quite you know so those are their sort of primary mm. traits this week I bought a Terminator skull, which uh, is very awesome. Nice. As for what I... Um, I don't think it's science fantasy, not really. No, I, I, I agree, but even even the second one, the shape-shifting aspect... Yeah, but that's explained on a, a, a technological level. Um, so it's not, as Chris has said earlier, it's not like a magic-type theme to it it it, it is a, a it is explained through science okay i think what's interesting there is actually 
explain through science things that are magic is one aspect of science fantasy mm. that can happen. But I do agree that it's not science fantasy because it's not really... There's nothing in it that's really archetypal of fantasy. It's not really that... It's not really that interested in the science fiction. The science fiction isn't a cover for the fantasy. It's a cover or an excuse for the action, if anything, mm. and for, for, for it as an action film. Um, I think, if anything, with Terminator... Too, if anything that makes it into that sort of fantasy, science fantasy genre, it's the line at the end where the Terminator says, I know now why you cry. Sort of It's showing, the journey that that character goes on. Yeah, yeah. showing some kind of um, insight that a machine understands emotions. That's a very science fiction idea, I think. That's a very, mm. that's what sort of science fiction, hard science fiction explores but, that. Well, I, th- I think what you were saying earlier, Mark, about um, the choices of the storylines and how that, you know, you can take a sort of a more classically fantasy storyline and put it in a science fiction setting. Does that make it then science fantasy? I think that sort of connects in with what, what Ben was saying, that, that sort of journey that that character of the Terminator makes, that sort of becoming human. It's the, what, it's the monster, what is it, the... Man against man versus himself, kind of the mm. classic sort of storyline. Um, that is perhaps a more classically fantasy kind of storyline, and so maybe that sort of does feed feed into that mm. a little bit. Yeah, I suppose that actually looking at the the realms of what fantasy is as a genre, that a lot of action films are actually just watered down fantasy concepts. Uh, no, I can. That's sort of I can see where you can run this sense because. Uh, it's hard to say because action film essentially is, is very modern in many ways anyway. There's well, a lot of action films these days have a supernatural element to them, if not a fantasy element. So, because you get a lot of superhero movies, for instance. <laughs> Here we go. Million uh, dollars. Yeah. So, because I was going to say, one of the examples we, we, we were thinking about earlier was, um, was Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and the idea that you've got that science fiction film uh, but you've got that element of the infinity stones which are kind of like magic and and you know those sort of characters that have these magical powers and so on and marvel is bringing in magic with dr strange next so and that's interesting about the shared universe is that it literally uses science fiction ideas and yeah so i mean so the marvel universe is pretty much science fantasy all the way really and what's interesting about that actually though is guardians galaxy is such a good version because again it's like Everyone was like, oh, is this going to be hit? And no, no, it's really grounded. It's really every day in terms of the characters, but also really fun. Yeah. It's not getting hung up on hard well, science fiction In ideas. a way, it, it, um, it focuses on the character. It's character-driven. Um, it keeps the science fiction as a backdrop, not as a, a driving force. Because I think you're right, you know... The, hard sci-fi with that driving force of the technology does tend to appeal to nerds you know because it's way it's being interested in the nitty-gritty of it um you know so by adding in those fantasy elements you soften it you basically make it the unknowable is okay the unknowable is not okay in science fiction in pure science fiction everything must be defined well if it is unknowable that's part of the concept or the idea like the aliens in the abyss it still sounds they're unknowable and powerful but that's part of the concept yes but they still work within certain rules Mm. whereas so i think when you add in fantasy elements you can say well the rules are outside of your experience outside of reality so guardians of the galaxy there is basically a, a satan character in Thanos, who makes a and this guy makes a deal with the devil to try and get this evil power, and then you get a dryad, some animal creature, 
Uh, a guy who looks like an ogre. You know, these... It's, I feel like you set a paper on this. No, point. but when you start kind of thing, you get that in a lot of these science fiction where yeah. aliens stand in for mythological races in... Mm. You know, um, so, yeah, that's how that... So, yeah. actually, again, what's a really good example, I think, is Star Trek. Generations mm. is trying to have f- philosophical science fiction ideas in it. But very mm. fantasy. Sort of yeah, Generations is very fantasy in that it's got this idea of this this dreamscape that, that people have to sort of na- navigate this idea of, of something that is non-physical because actually, you know, if you think about it, a lot of science fiction is very much about the physical and the fantasy is very much about the ephemeral. Um, you know, so actually Generations is a very good example, I think. It's interesting you should bring that up, actually, because Generations is probably my least favourite of the films and fantasy as a genre... Um, in itself I'm not a fan of yeah contrasting that maybe with First Contact then which is actually much more hard sci-fi and one of my favourites it is yeah. but it's also more action film I don't yes. know what else it is it's also a zombie film it's got a lot of principles of, of the mm. kind of the Borg are used in a much more undead parasitic kind of way so as someone said at the time I remember a review so you know it's basically Star Trek making the best Doctor Who film you've ever seen <laughs> at the time you know the Borg came into Next Generation and they stood out so much at the time because at the point Next Generation had gone on you'd had the, the, a lot of politics a lot of aliens doing their kind of oh these are the greedy ones these are the, the Borg come in actually at the point and where they stand here is because they're not a Star Trek monster they are a Doctor Who they are a monster at that point they are very alien they are aggressive they are this this horror kind of aspect to them compared to the more sort of hard science fiction politics. Yeah, I would also say that in some of the earlier films where you have characters with motivation that is identifiable, um, you know, and they are good or bad, the Borg just are. But by being that, they are frightening. Mm. You know, it's the resistance is futile thing. They, they, you cannot negotiate with them because they have no variance mm. in their attitude. They are effectively like the plague of zombies or the plague of rats or any you know, unstoppable, unnegotiable enemy. Which is very un-Star Trek. So on the subject of Star Trek, then, I think the biggest, most interesting aspect for this is the first two films. How, who's familiar with the very first Star Trek film? A.K.A. Oh, by the way, Rich and I are holding our hands up. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek, the uh, slow motion picture, as it's mm. been called. Where... We, can't, we, we clocked how long it takes for them to reveal the ship, and I think we worked out it was like eight minutes of them basically, they get on a transporter and eight minutes pass of them just around moving the around the ship. Why? Because of the technology. Not just yeah. the filmmaking technology. It is a hard science fiction film. It's about this idea, again, of technology becoming so advanced that it becomes... It, mm. it focuses on the Enterprise literally taking about 20 minutes to go through a few doors in space. Yeah, and I would I would also point out that it... Um, it takes uh, an unknowable other that appears to be magic and breaks it down into technology. Exactly. And actually it becomes defined by a type of, of, of science. You know, so the answer is science at the end of it. And it wasn't a big hit. People were bored. What's it followed Eight by? Eight minutes of panning around the ship. <laughs> you know, people like it. You know, that's, that's mm. not my criticism. Mm. It's a long time ago now. Mm. But the point is... They knew this wasn't right. This hard science fiction that Star Trek was trying to be isn't what people were liking about Star Trek. What does it follow, follow by Wrath of Khan? Mm. Which is pure science fantasy. It's even down to the... Garden of Eden creating a new planet, you know. Khan has yeah. been... He's, he's the guy left on the island, you know, 
deserted, coming back for revenge. Mm. It uses, you know... It's got uh, a much more Dick. fantasy, t- a much more classically fantasy storyline. That yeah. revenge, you know, arch nemesis revenge plot, and it keeps thing. all of Star Trek fans happy by bringing back a character that's in the main <laughs> series. But, yeah, but yeah, but that kind of difference. I think those two films make a real, a good example of that difference between hard science fiction and science fantasy, and where one is just for like the nerds, mm. as it were. But it's going for that kind of yeah. hard science fiction. Versus that more fun, there's a hero, there's yeah. a villain. Funnily enough, you can almost say that actually most of, you know, the odd, odd even thing with the science and Star Trek movies where most people say that the, the odd numbered films are the bad ones and the even numbered mm. films are the good one, which is mostly consistent. Um, actually, I would say that the um, the odd numbered ones tend to be the more hard sci-fi and the even ten- ones tend yeah. to be the more softly science fantasy. I mean, yeah, and, and I actually think that's where Five completely drops the ball because it's trying to be this whole alien pretends to be God philosophical thing, mm. but Shatner Blessing cannot pull it off. <laughs> it just, it doesn't work as hard science fiction or mm. science fantasy. But Undiscovered Country mm. has a much more fantasy-driven storyline, which, you know, that sort of the idea of, you know, the the plot and, mm. uh, you know, the, 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 the prince mm. being, you know, the king being assassinated for all intents and purposes, and, and the hero, the you know, being, you know, cast out and having to fight his way back in and it's very much a sort of you know no, fantasy kind of plot. interaction again again actually for the same reason as why i think interaction what, what do you think about that i think it kind of botches that mix of hard sci-fi and trying to be fun Definitely. i haven't seen five no um, interaction oh insurrection um yeah actually I, I i was just thinking about insurrection and how that that because it's the relocation isn't it of a uh, indigenous people you'll have to remind me but wasn't there something to do with where they were living that had some kind of mystical and magical It was like the Fountain of Youth, and, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah so very kind of fantasy. I, again, yeah. I, I remember that, but it's been so long ago since I've seen it. It's one of the ones I haven't watched a second time, again, because I think that the fantasy aspect of it kind of put me off a little bit. I'm, but I, 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 I think the science fiction bit also doesn't work because they try and add that to this whole insurrection idea of, of, of loyalty and the military but I don't think they ever get the combination right I think it's actually a point where it's trying to have these ideas of fancy and these ideas of more kind of militaristic and sort of science fiction structure and, and they don't mesh the funny irony is of course that I look at Insurrection and think it's actually a pure next generation episode story um, and yet it still doesn't work for me <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Next Generation is, is a weird one anyway. I mean, so television, actually, um, is good for science fantasy. I'm, I'm going to say Doctor Who now, and Doctor Who, I will argue, is science fantasy because the whole concept of it being science fiction is just an excuse to have a magic box that takes you from world to world. I think, to be fair, I mean, the, the science fiction elements of Doctor Who could be removed and you'd be left with a pure fantasy series. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, it's like, it, it's... You could replace those elements with magic, and it would be, you know, it's very much. I'd say it's it's almost more more fantasy than it is science fiction. The science fiction is almost incidental. Again, though, I think that's a lot of it for a lot of these kind of things. It's an element of saying it might appear to be some horrible monster, but it's an alien, or it might appear to be oh, it's psychic power. It's it's about using it as an explanation, so it's set in a, a science fiction yeah. world. I mean, I think the, you know, the, those episodes not... that use like the Cybermen or the Daleks are perhaps a bit more science fiction, but there are other episodes which are almost purely fantasy. I mean, they arrive horror. in the box and get off of it and they enter a fantasy, you know, um, story. Or a horror story. Or horror, and yeah. even the Cybermen are using body horror. I mean, it changes mm. genre per story. Mm. Yeah. But 
the overarching concept of it isn't this kind of hard science fiction. It's those are trappings of explanations yeah. for its format. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, overarching. I mean, science fantasy is quite a broad genre. I mean, you're pretty much covering everything that is not the far extremes of a spectrum, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd say it comes down to the fact that we need to go to different times and places. We've got time travel, so it's science fiction, but it's not, it might as well be it's a magic door. Mm. I think the best TV series for science fantasy, though, and actually does science... The, Riddick tried and failed. It's probably Babylon Five, which is essentially Lord of the Rings in space, <laughs> down to the names of places, the concepts of things. It has a lot of science fiction ideas, but it, it's very much actually telling, using science fiction to retell elements of the Lord of the Rings. Mm. It has actual spiritual discussions. It's a real kind of science fantasy. Oh, let's put out. I'm sitting here going, hmm, yeah, and I'm like, I've never actually watched yeah. Babylon. I mean, you've got the rangers who are also, which are the combination of the alien Mimbari and human coming together to form rangers who are basically go around planet to planet getting news. And they are the rangers from Lord of the Rings. They are exactly that. Okay, quick question. Has anybody else here watched Babylon 5? Because, um, no. no. Yeah. So Mark is talking only to you, listeners. <laughs> but yeah, if you watch it, it's very much as, mm. you know, the, the planet of the main sort of threatening thing is called Zaha Doom. Yeah. Um, you know, it used- I would also like to raise Stargate. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one because that sort of deliberately yeah. takes mythological stuff but tries to explain it for science fiction. But again... It's kind of like... But it again, it's have... fix, uh, fantasy storylines in a lot of cases. Mm. Um, there's an element of magic within it mm. in terms of, you know, some of the, the, the powers that the aliens have and so it's, on. It's the one that's going, oh, they're aliens. It's, so quite they a, it's it. pretty much another archetypal example, I would mm. say, of that crossover between... between it's the one of those examples, it. actually. Whereas I think... Babylon 5 actually has a spiritual element mm. like the Force in Star Trek. Babylon 5 is, is very much a sort of fantasy narrative with science fiction, mm. tra- in a su- science fiction setting, stuff like that. The thing about Stargate is, it's one of those ones where they say, okay, magic's just absurd and goes, I mean, it's how magic's often used. Magic's absurd. It goes against the laws of physics, but people can get on board with science and that's actually part of the age of mm. rationality. Yeah. Where you say, Oh no, then they weren't gods. That's to say, but they were godlike aliens. That's okay. Yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, I mean, you've almost hit upon something there that um, science can be used to rationalise the impossible, mm. but at the same time, the impossible can be used to humanise science. Yeah. You know, because I was thinking you take things like, um, uh, like uh, Firefly, for instance. Um, that's a science fiction setting, pure and simple. There is mm. no real magic elements to any of that. Yeah. But it has a sort of fantasy tone to it in the way that it's presented, the types of storylines that they cover, the types of characters, the character journeys, and so on. And and in, and by doing so, I think, by taking that sort of more fantasy perspective on storylines, I think they create a more humanised s- space, mm. you know, scenario. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, obviously that draws on the Western as well, doesn't it? Mm. As well as, and, and that's got a specific aesthetic. They have a kind of look at the moment, and the sort of the, the technology involved in science fantasy tends to be a bit more sort of advanced, doesn't it? Because you have not just the special effects, but that I specific looks that they give. I think kind of more modern digital cameras definitely let you have a kind of cleaner look. That's maybe more for sci-fi, a lot easier than on film. Um, I think it's just a combination of the lighting, the camera, and the grading. To be honest, and. I'm sure a lot of them follow the same kind of kind of looks. Mm. I think um, something I, I found the other day was I found a really interesting video about lens flares. 
And that, uh, <laughs> and that video was about the idea of, of um, lens flares as originally being considered to be a mistake. And, you know, they did everything they could to get rid of lens flares. If there was a lens flare on the pit, they would reshoot the shot because it was considered to be wrong. Mm. And then sort of later into the sort of like the, the 70s era, the grindhouse kind of films, um, lens flares were sort of implemented as a way of sort of making something real to prove that it was shot on location rather than in a... To be studio. fair, I think for a lot of Grindhouse films, they just couldn't well, yeah, no, the example that they use. Yeah. The example that they use is Easy Rider. Yeah. Um, and what it is is that it's the the often lens flares were seen in documentaries, yeah. and therefore having lens flares in your film, it yeah. kind of uh, subconsciously gave it that element of it being a real life. Yeah, and I think um, that got me thinking about actually what other elements are used in um, films to create a sense of realism and when you're using a, a non-realistic subject and um, one of them is the is the focus pull it's the, or the zoom the in-camera zoom um, and actually if you watch um, I'm pretty sure they do it in Avengers Assemble um, probably I think also in Iron Man mm-hmm. um, definitely do it in a lot of the films the, by the, the same guy who did District 9 Oh, um, yeah, Neil Blomkamp. His films. Um, is that in-camera sort of... Um, it's zoom, zoom focus. In, zoom focus in, in camera. Um, mm. That, I think, is, I've, I've noticed is used a lot as a, as a device. And I think actually, you know, a lot of modern science fantasy has a tendency to adopt that almost slightly documentary approach you know handheld camera for the intimate scenes um that sort of zoom and focus lens flares things like that all elements designed to make everything seem more real more realistic more believable believable and then then that is to sort of like you know to do that suspension of disbelief Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's a hallmark i would say yeah and speaking back to firefly uh joss whedon has purposefully incorporated that element of the zoom and focus mm. on the external shots to give it that element that style and also the shaky camera movements so yeah. you're not quite framing things perfectly and it, it almost it feels it, it's a, it's a, it's designed to make it feel like it was captured in one shot yeah. Yeah. that it wasn't perfect but that was what you got because it was really happening even though what you're looking at is a computer generated model so, yeah so what do you think about the lens flare and that kind of a camera work Alec? what's your opinions on that um i think if, like anything if you sparingly it can look okay i know i think on one of the recent star trek films you go, full JJ one, Abrams. <laughs> i know i think they used a torch on set or something and i read something about they wish they'd done it less and because they didn't do it digitally they couldn't remove it so obviously there's pitfalls with that but i think the look can look nice i mean it's used quite a lot of music videos and kind of you know overused and abused but mm. like anything i think use it when it's awesome. right and with JJ Abrams stuff is actually I understand totally why it exists and I understand totally why why people hate it. But he said he thinks he overdid it in the last <laughs> yeah. He said his wife said he'd overdone it and that was the point where he realised he had. But that's um but that is the thing, it's sort of a trademark of his. But yeah, it, it's about getting that realism bash. That's kind of interesting. It's just almost science fantasy. The fancy elements stop it being kind of Boring inverted commas because I don't mm. think it's hard science fiction nerds and brings audience in, mm. but the um, the science fiction means it's it's more believable because it's explained through science. Mm. So this all works together. Iron Man is an absurd concept of the technology, but it's okay. It's science that he can do all these cool technological things and wear this suit. Yeah. Right? So it's it's using science to explain why this awesome 
superpowers. And that's actually why superhero films, I think, are generally very science fantasy. I mean, mm. to varying degrees, but I think because it's almost a genre in itself, obviously. Mm. But if it's anything, it's a form of science fantasy because they're using generally science yeah. as a way of, sort of bringing you into yeah. the reality of this. I think... Um, Going back to what I was saying uh, briefly about um, color grading and stuff mm. with, um, with with films, I think um, a lot of um, fantasy tends to be, or well, modern fantasy tends to be quite gritty kind of color mm. schemes. But um, traditional fantasy was much more sort of you know bright colors and and stuff like that. And um, but I, th- I think uh, an interesting counterpoint to that is actually the difference between the Lord of the Rings films and the Hobbit films, because I don't know whether interesting to know whether people agree with this, but I think that the Hobbit was graded warmer. Um, everything feels a lot sort of brighter, more vibrant in that in those films. I think, and and I think it creates a different tone to the film. Because obviously, mm. you know, color grading does, um, but I think it makes it more sort of you know less less real less realism, more more hard fantasy. Okay. I've not seen The Lord of the Rings for ages. I have mm. seen them. But um, I know that was shot on film and The Hobbit is obviously on red, but you could, you know, grade it close to each other if you wanted to. So I guess that's probably a creative decision, yeah, I would imagine, yeah. yeah. But I think that maybe to give it a lighter tone as well. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a little bit off topic because obviously Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit both very much fantasy, but, um, yeah. Well, it's interesting that fantasy has to have that kind of, even if it is more real, they, they still both have that kind of grittiness... To an extent, which isn't yeah. early fantasy, like you're saying. And even if you look at, I mean, Game of Thrones, the ultimate kind of going for that gritty fantasy. Mm. And it's the same thing. It's because it's a way of saying to audiences, Lord of the Rings really brought into the mainstream, saying, mm. okay, we know you don't like fantasy and think it's like maybe kids stuff or silly. Mm. No, look, it's all gritty Yeah, and real. I think this would be a really good topic for another podcast, mm. the evolution of fantasy and the way that fantasy has been presented in, in film, I think would be a really good topic fantasy for Fantasy film, there we go. That's yeah. More genre podcasts coming your way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but then again, talking about grading, about styles of films, there are three stock grades for films. Action films are teal and orange. Fancy films tend to be sepia tones, much more brown sort of colours in modern fancy. And sci-fi films tend to be cool, tend to be blue or gr- green in terms of it, but desaturated. Yeah, yeah. There's an interesting point, actually. Can you turn something from sci-fi into fantasy using nothing but the colour grading? And I would actually say that... Um, that Firefly is actually a really good example of that because Firefly is graded very much in a warm colour palette rather than a traditional sci-fi cool colour palette. Yeah. I think that goes a long way to changing the tone towards... Well, it's gone from Western, fantasy. isn't it? Well, it's yes, exactly. Yeah. If you look at the box that's on the table, what is it, brown, Yeah, orange. exactly, it's in warm tones. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting, actually, because um, we've got five films on the table, Crow, Outlander, Garland's Galaxy, Chronicles of Riddick and Firefly. Crow, Outlander and Garland's Galaxy are blues in their colour. And in a way, they're acting slightly towards a sci-fi bend. We're talking about the, Meanwhile, the, 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 the actual on, on DVD the cases. Yeah. Meanwhile, Riddick and Firefly, much more beige, browns and reds. Yeah, weirdly enough, actually, um, that, that's a, I, I will find a link to it and put it in the bottom, which is to do with um, colour palettes for book cover designs. Mm. And actually, sci-fi, the book colour palette is orange and yellow. 
is is um it's kind of like the color of of, of fire and, and technology is that kind of that orangey yellow i'll i'll find a link to that one because it was quite a good article hmm. you look at the crow boxes people with axes it's a cyclops it's swords it's people who look like knights there's there's nothing that really says science fiction to it. It's really no, it, in fact, and, and Carl is very much a f- fantasy film with science fiction elements mm. as opposed to a science fiction film with fantasy elements. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we should wrap up. Yes, I think we should. So, that's it for this episode of Breakout. Please let us know your thoughts on the science fantasy genre on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash TGE Breakout. So, from Felic, Ben, Chrissy, Mark, and myself, Rich. And Squiddy. Oh, and Squiddy. And Squiddy. It's bye for now. Bye.